Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff. And today I have another special guest joining us. I have the Senior Director of Marketing at Epic Records, Dylan Brewer, joining us today. How are you doing today, Dylan? Cliff, what up, man? Happy to be here. Thank you. Good, good. I'm happy to have you a part of the show. So first, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show today. So I really appreciate it and excited to have the conversation that we're going to have today. Of course, man. It's going to be great. Cool deal. So really quick, before I introduce the topics, I want to take a moment to shout out all the listeners in all 60 plus countries and everybody that follows us on social media. And if you're listening and you don't already follow us, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Sane underscore show. That's Sane, S-A-N-E underscore show on Instagram and Twitter. And then you can find us on Facebook, Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, that's Sane Show. So today we're going to have a conversation about music marketing. And then following that conversation, we're going to have a discussion about the rise of boutique entertainment agencies. And then following that discussion, we're going to have an interview with you, Dylan, so that the listeners can learn more about you and all the fun things that you do and everything that goes along with that. Let's go ahead and hop right into it with our first topic, music marketing. So doing, again, doing what you do, I thought this was a fitting topic. Then there were quite a few things that came to mind for me. One of the first things that came to mind for me was Coca-Cola and Maroon 5, how they teamed up years ago and did the 24 hours of music where Maroon 5 was in a room together literally all day and they they wrote a song from scratch they recorded it in the studio and then you know Coca-Cola they recorded the whole thing too like you can go on YouTube and watch the video and Coca-Cola promoted the song and everything and it was a part of that that campaign and obviously in that push Coca-Cola was also promoting their own products so and I think the concept of tying music into marketing is a unique concept in itself anyway, uh, because, you know, music is a universal language. And I mean, if you got a catchy song and you're pushing a product, it makes it all the more in, one engaging and entertaining, obviously, too. And, you know, we see it at events and all those kinds of things. And obviously it's easy to do. And you know, like I said to you before, I think the question begs, who does it really benefit when we talk about in the in the conversation when we're talking about brands and artists and them coming together and marketing doing a music marketing campaign of some sort so uh you know just want to hand it off to you really quick to get your thoughts on this whole thing as far as music marketing and especially you know you having an interest in experiential marketing when it comes to music just want to get your thought and you know share that with the listeners i can sort of touch on a few of those things i mean like we're talking referencing the sort of like brand integration like i sort of remember that activation with maroon five it was like probably like 10 years ago yeah uh, <laughs> which might have been around the moment where maroon five sort of like stopped making as cool music as they were at the time like, <laughs> around like 2012 i knew so this probably was part of that sort of pivot in like their decision and just making more music that was whatever more global and mainstream i mean obviously like this again like if it was sort of if if this was a live stream moment like you know the technology or whatever it could have been i'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to put it in context of when it when it happens right 
when you look at it sort of objectively, there's not really any mutual investment deeper than just some sort of first in the industry. And I think that's still sort of a common thing now with brand integration, especially people who just don't really get the music industry or vice versa, you know, or get the art form. It's like Coke may have just done it because it was like the most ambitious music thing that a drink company has done or like it's really sort of just a flash in the pan you know Mm -hmm. and there's not really any kind of like deeper dive into like is there any connection between the band and and like the integrity of the of the brand right right in that case like maybe it didn't matter and that's not what it was meant to do ultimately like i find that fans actually get more involved and it actually creates a deeper connection when there's something that bridges that gap between brand and band in this case it just looks like two just massive brands even like room five at this point becoming sort of like a more globally accessible group just sort of trying to do this one thing and like there's it doesn't go really much deeper than this i think this is pretty like vanilla right right? when it comes to integration (laughs) Uh, but like you know i think there's been there's been cool like thoughtful brand integrations to music i always think there could be more you know like Mm -hmm. i think it's it comes in waves like when based off of like where the attention span of where brands need to be you know what i mean like obviously we're in another sort of phase of of a mass sort of like 24-hour news cycle if not less right you have tiktok Mm -hmm. like brands are sort of involved in different ways and sort of have to navigate their story and have become much more of a voice themselves, like brands on Twitter three, four years ago, like before you can never really have like a voice like that. And you had to do partnerships with Maroon 5 and whatever that kind of felt stale and still separated. But now you have, what was the one? It was like, a, it was the Super Bowl one where like the lights went out in the middle of the Super Bowl and then like, oh, <laughs> oh no. Um, it was, uh, I think it was like, or something it was like i'm gonna just look it up because i'm not gonna compete super bowl lights out uh oreo yeah i don't remember what they just tweeted some shit like oh dunk in the dark like they just like interacted in real time and everyone was like yeah. oh my god this is so innovative but it was like <laughs> the platform's been there for a while i just think like eventually you have a few people that break the rules yeah like i know wendy's was an early one i feel like they like you just had some people who took a risk and then ultimately like it became a norm. Right. So I think because of that, you can have more integrated campaigns that feel more human. Right. Like mm-hmm. another good example is like Vince Staples and Sprite. Like Vince Staples is ultimately known as someone who doesn't give a fuck and like is just on his own shit and like rants on Twitter and like people love him for it. So he had to like own that and doing the shit with Sprite. Right. It was, I forget the commercial. It was funny though. It was like, Right. It worked right into his brand, right into his voice. And ultimately, if you're a brand and you're working with an artist like that, you have to keep that voice and keep that connection. Maroon 5 thing is like no one really cares what Adam has to say, ultimately. Like that's <laughs> part of the brand, like whatever. So it's like it kind of works because it's sort of stale on both ends. But yeah, I mean, I think that stuff can still happen. Ultimately, now you have musicians and artists who are like creating their own brands and don't if they're big enough they don't need to do these partnerships right like much like rihanna drink company now right like post malone's got wine travis scott's got and seltzers and that started from like the puff days and you know what i mean like in jay-z 
being your own business is definitely like the trend, right? Like if you, once you get to a certain point, you start your own record label, you start your own music festival, you start your own drink brand, you start your own whatever, whatever it is. I think if we're like, that's just mentioning, you sort of mentioned the Coke thing. I think like the brand integration thing is, is certainly, I think continues to be an interesting route, at least for bigger artists. I don't know how much, you know, brands are necessarily doing for developing artists now in like a, a, a super meaningful way. That's not sort of like a bit dated. I, I think ultimately brand, the voice of brands is always going to be a bit behind the voice of an artist. Usually the the best ones are when like an artist brand or it comes from them, right? Or, or you just have the one-offs who really understand these folks. But usually it's to, it's to like, hit a certain number of sales or something and like that kind of quantitative measure is like you're not going to get something that's super meaningful you know what i mean or like that touches people in the same way i certainly agree uh i just i was just thinking about how uh, i cannot think of the country music artist's name but i think it was luke bryan yeah right when COVID the pandemic hit and like they were canceling concerts and everything and you know, these artists were doing a lot of things from home and some of the sponsors were still wanting like, hey, OK, well, you don't you're not doing this tour. Well, hey, do something at home. And I just remember like one of uh, it, it may not have been Luke Bryan, but one of the country artists, big one, too, <laughs> had his all this butt light, I mean, butt light in his kitchen <laughs> and yeah. he was sitting on a stool, you know, with his guitar and uh, yeah. playing music and singing. So. Well, Bud Light, that was a good one because yeah. when they were doing their like they had like the dive bar series. Very cool mm-hmm. idea. Wasn't necessarily to hit a mass of people. It wasn't like Amex doing massive arena. It was like, we're going to pick 100 person bars, cat bars, and we're going to, this is before COVID, right? Like mm-hmm. throw John Mayer in a, in a tour, like, or a, a few of them. Like, I think they did one with Miley Cyrus, I think. They threw massive artists in these. And, but it was like an extension of the lifestyle of Bud Light. And you see like Post Malone just went double down on it. Still has his own company, but has a massive partnership with them. <laughs> it just like made sense. Like it's like right. Post Malone embodies that whole thing. Like the people who drink Bud Light are ultimately what Post Malone, who Post Malone is like personality wise. So that's why it works better. You know what I mean? Because these artists have voices. They're not just, they're not just these brands that people can't understand anymore. All right, we're back. So now we're going to have a conversation about the rise of boutique entertainment agencies. And some of this will tie back to our previous discussion as it relates to music marketing. Because there's been a lot of people parting ways with major labels and a music talent agency specifically. Well, agencies all around, but for this particular segment, uh, music talent agencies. Obviously, there's been a lot of smaller labels independent labels popping up all over the place but i find that things are have been most interesting with the independent agencies and marketing agencies or brand agencies that have popped up over the last few years and i think a lot of it again does go back to first topic with music marketing of seeing what a lot of these smaller agencies have been able to do for these artists you know, like we talked about, you know, gone are the days of the like old school endorsements and you know, just propping up 
random artists. And I guess the, going back to the Maroon 5 and Coca-Cola thing, like just finding someone because they're popular and doing something with them, where branded talent agencies are now you know, stepping outside the box. So, I mean, you, you know a lot more about this than I do doing what you do. So definitely want to hear what you have to say to that. Yeah, I think you're sort of referencing to two sort of different things, right? Like, I think the label side, we, I, I can talk on that a bit. I mean, yeah, there's like, there is clearly growing, there's growth in companies like, like DistroKid, Empire, AWOL, like United Masters, that Lander's another one. There's a number of them, right, that, that sort of started out as distribution companies and ultimately started adding services. But the main thing was that they would let artists sort of own their masters at the end of the day. I think all of those companies do that, I believe. Could be wrong. But that was sort of like the, okay, uh, people got fed up with how label deals were set up. And there was enough new technology that could be created and, and databases and, and certain tools that could be granted directly to the artists. And so the past really 15 years or so, it's like the overall education of that stuff directly with the artists has become much more transparent, right? The artists are understanding more, managers are understanding more, and it's not just like any other department in music. Like you didn't have to just go to a label and like to become well-known, right? Like we all know that. That's like a classic story. So. I think if we're talking about those companies, yeah, I think there's a huge advantage for an indie artist to look at them. I think ultimately they're still sort of building that they're doing. And and I think a lot of them are struggling to be like, okay, we have broken this artist. Like that's the case study. I think some people, some people are trying, they're trying to tell that story, but ultimately I think still you have artists who sign an album deal with them get to a pretty good developing point and then leave and go to a major because at that point the majors probably still have more money to put behind you and at least you're at 60 instead of zero from my experience like labels are usually best at that part the 60 to 100 to like get something out of here i think labels generally struggle in the zero to 60 compared to some other in uh, some of these other companies right i think of it like a car with certain cars, right? yeah, I, I think about like these some of these cars, these four cylinders, and they're all strapped with turbochargers now, and like have really awesome zero to sixty times and get off the line fast. But then, if you want to get that top speed, you must stay fast. <laughs> right, you want you got to get something bigger and more yeah. powerful, right? Yeah. And so that's how I'm looking at these smaller agencies and these labels, right? And so the way you describe the labels, and I never really thought of it like that either. And cause it's, you, you really got my brain going now because I'm even thinking about it, with not not just in the music, this music space, but even in the podcasting space. Cause it's like to be able to, how I'm thinking about it with the labels, right? You have to have something worth investing in and being able like, it's going to take a lot more to push the artists to yeah. that next level. I think ultimately, like labels still get to reap the benefit of be of like their legacy and and the sort of infrastructure that's been built for the past 60 to 70 years of like, I mean, some labels are older than that. 
a, a global infrastructure, right? The, a international marketing department. Having Sony has ties in nearly every country you can think of. Same with UMG, same with Warner. So you, you, it's very hard to build that, right? Like that is like yeah. a global network that is is part of just a, it's just, ma- it's just, corp- it's a corporate society. It's a corporation. It's just like a massive entity that's built its way over decades to get there. So clearly that is a huge advantage for a major. Same thing with radio. Radio, I think, matters less and less, but it still has a huge audience. And the relationship that labels have with programmers, and that's still very much built in. iHeartRadio is a, is a massive corporation, just like UMG is, right? Like, ultimately, like, value in those larger partnerships. MTV, Vivo, like, all those things are, are big. Like, Spotify, same thing. Facebook, Twitter, like, all these companies have to kind of sleep in bed together Facebook wants to ha- let people post music on their platform. So they have to get licensing rights and then they strike a deal with these labels. And then because they strike the deal, UMG goes, well, we want to include, uh, you have to verify these number of artists. Like there's all these things that come with just overall like corporate partnerships. I don't even know what I was talking about. Okay. <laughs> but no, I think those are the benefits, right? I think the things that are sort of that are more accessible are obviously the things that are happen happening digitally and, and socially. And, and I mean, even t- getting on TV, getting on the cover of a magazine, like you can reach out to those editors directly, right? Like that network doesn't mean that much. Even radio, you can too. Obviously I think there's a bit more of a, a larger partnership again, like with those entities, like a, a Hearst has with UMG or like the major publication brands or whatever. Uh, companies so yeah there's still those like larger sort of like leverage points you know what i mean they'll continue to be around you know what i mean and i think they'll continue to sign artists and stuff like that but i think ultimately the structure will change i think it it's the narrative it's it's ultimately it's the same thing we were talking about before with brands having a voice like a few people have to do it a few people have to have the story and then they'll have to adjust labels will have to sort of adjust the way things work because ultimately the marketplace dictates in this case, artists would dictate what the new norm is. I think that was like the first part of your question about sort of the labels and non-labels that artists are sort of working with, if I'm correct. I think the other thing you, you bring up is our agencies, which from your question, I took a little bit differently. And it's more of like, okay, what marketing agencies or creative agencies labels are partnering with or artists? Am I right in, in that question? Yeah. 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 I think there's certainly something to that as well. I still think in the music industry, there's, again, this is my experience and I think it, it it could be there, you know, but I think ultimately there's a lot of agencies that are very creative that do really, really solid creative work. And then there's other agencies that are very good at like marketing strategy. And those like the, the big ones that we sort of know that work with brands and make tons of money, like the, you know, the drogas and the, you know, like the big ones that you see like at age. Right. And those are still sort of the verticals in which I think the the label world sort of tries to navigate and work with. I've worked with both sides. I still think that there's a disconnect where there's not like a middle ground of a agency that truly understands or, or is optimizing on like the full connection of like a creative 
creative side and a marketing side that works seamlessly. I think a lot of agencies will say they do, but it, it, ultimately there's still that separation the same way there's a separation between the people who work at brands and the people who create music, right? There's a difference in, in understanding the process and the storytelling of it with people who work at an ad, a large ad agency. I do think there are people who are coming up and it's become more sort of decentralized in that sense where it's like there are teams outside of what the label provides that certain artists can work with. I mean, right now it's like it's it's either coming from the artist or they have a small team around them. The agency ultimately is just like who's the who are the homies around you who shoot <laughs> content and edit it, right? Like that's your agency. Let's just get you someone who you fuck with, who we can you put on retainer, and they shoot every they follow you everywhere. They shoot everything. They edit the content and they try on error a bunch of stuff, right? That's what an agency needs to do right now. Period. Like, if you are a music agency, you have a network of videographers and photographers and editors and essentially content creators who who like can understand. or really the agency goes i have this person who i think would be great because they would understand the voice of your artist great and then they hang out they see if they vibe and then they and then they just start shooting stuff and then you trial and error and you come up with some sort of plan whether that comes from the label or the agency of like okay here's how here's our distribution pyramid right we're gonna do 15 pieces of content for TikTok a month. We're going to do 10 for Instagram. We're going to do 30 for Instagram story. We're going to, then you, then you have more of a strategy element of the relationship. I ultimately think there's still an opportunity for an agency or an independent partner for indie artists or for label artists to exist. I think what happens is generally speaking, labels don't, invest enough in creative it's not their strength i think everyone would agree with me on that (laughs) and it just goes to show about how the departments are set up also you have labels who sign hundreds of artists and so you can only do so many things with each artist you have to manage a ton of artists so everyone's sort of wiped out because they're sort of just overseeing and managing what artists are doing and just sharing information and making sure people know this and this and that and that like There isn't, you know, some labels have it, but like a focus group of like an incubator that's set up and it's like five to 10 artists and the only artists that this incubator gets to work on for a full year. I feel like Interscope has that. I feel like there are some others. I should know more of this, but I don't. But like ultimately that is a that's a place that can breed a bit more success. Right. Because it's creative driven. It's coming from a place that understands sort of marketing, uh, so to speak, or if it's a marketing person at the label and then you're you have that focus and consistency on development right now the artist agencies are whoever's shooting content for them period and then if someone else whether it's the artist manager or the artist or their product manager can go hey i think you should cut it down like this we should build your profile on tiktok like this we should focus on twitter because of this you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that that's still the benefit I still, as a marketer, if like if I need to find a content creator or someone to follow an artist around, there's not like one company that I really know of that does that well. I sort of it, it, like I have to scour Instagram or like go into my network of of videographers, right? You sort of still have to ask around. I think that there is an opportunity for a company to be like, I have a network 
of dope videographers and editors and you can come to me and tell me who the artist is and I can go, these three people will be great and reasonable because it's a developing artist. I think that's not quite there yet. I think people are trying you know, to do it. So that's my, that's my take on agencies. <laughs> Got you. Thank you for that. All right, we're back now for the interview. So Dylan, I'm going to ask you a few questions so that we can learn a little bit more about you, the things that you do and all the fun things that go along with that. So I'm going to go ahead and fire off with this first question. You're in marketing at Epic Records. You work with artists too. How much influence does marketing have on the content being produced and where's the line drawn? I don't even think they're separate entities. I think it's the exact same thing. Marketing is storytelling and the form of storytelling is through content. So you could say content is the channel or the medium of the story. They sort of go, they, they go fully hand in hand. Ultimately, we're just sort of like using verbiage that's like, well, content's this, content's king. You know, like I think marketing obviously encompasses more than that in the sense of marketing could be like, I have the intuition to know that this artist should partner with this brand. Like that could be considered brand marketing. So I think marketing is like a bigger umbrella of just understanding who the artist is and how and where to capture an audience, whereas content is ultimately what gets to the audience. Marketing is sort of like the engine behind what what gets produced, and that's content, if that makes sense. It's a means to an end sort of thing. But ultimately, like content is how we discover information like that's what we're calling it now we're not it's not the newspaper everything's just content right like it's it's news it's it's our feeds it's anything that we see every day is content but ultimately they they, yeah they go they, they go fully hand in hand i don't think they're necessarily like two separate things that was different from what I was expecting. So <laughs> thank you for that. That definitely got me thinking about some things for sure. So my next question to you, brands teaming up with music artists has been a trend for a while now. And obviously we've discussed this a little bit too. What is it really about brands trying to look cool and trendy or push out a message about their products that resonate with consumers? Uh, you know, I think it's it's gotten better right like I, th- I think like ultimately when brands were like we're gonna we realized that i mean you can go back to when music became of like the most popular form of culture you know what i mean like when culture was music brands were trying to take advantage of that i can't give specific examples i have to imagine the shit goes back to like the 50s and 60s <laughs> it was like it, it sort of it depended on the medium too it was like what kind of worked and what didn't and like MTV became like made music videos and then there was product placement. Right. And it was new and fresh at the time. So it was kind of, it was kind of dope, like, cause it was new. And then ultimately it was like, people were like, this is done too much or people or people are stretching out. It's just like, okay, this is overdone. It's saturated. Now you have to innovate. Right. And that's every sort of phase of brand integration with artists. I think brand, I, I don't know. I don't like, I'm not an expert on, what brands are trying to do necessarily now in any space. I mean, like I said before, I think it's, they're ultimately trying to have the voice of a certain lifestyle. And 
I think artists can be a conduit to that or help continue to drive that. So I think it's ultimately going in a better place, but I, I don't see enough like examples of that today, really. You know what I mean? So I think both of those things exist. I think like brands are, are, are having the voice and trying to engage in meaningful topics and stuff. Ultimately, that's kind of like that kind of is is falls to the wayside because it's like it's all kind of set up like we can we can smell this shit. You know what I mean? Like right. if it's like, uh, let's um, brands are gonna, we're going to do we're going to curate a roundtable for seven famous female artists. And they're going to talk about what it means to be a a someone who's had to fight more in the industry to get there. And it's like nothing against what that's about. But it doesn't it kind of is just like they're doing it because of what's already happening, like because of the activism, whatever, like because of the conversation, it doesn't feel it feels contrived. I think there's a good intention, but ultimately it's a contrived thing. So there's companies that do there's brands that probably do that better than others. But it's the same thing as before. A brand can feel contrived if it's trying to be if it's trying to force itself into a music video, right? A brand feels contrived if it's trying to force itself into a conversation that is like socially lit right now. You know what I mean? Or like right. act politically lit or like whatever. So I think the, I think mostly most brands are trying to do it because they need to hit a number, a, a certain number of selling their products. But I'm not, you know, I think it goes both ways. I think there's always more brands that can take risks, you know, and it doesn't feel like right now a lot of brands are taking risks. Yeah, for sure. My next question to you, you said that you love offering insight and addressing misconceptions regarding the music industry. What are some of the biggest misconceptions you have addressed regarding the music industry? Mm, This is like hot spot, like let's hot button question. Let's go. Like this (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, man, it's like, I think that ultimately the art over again, this is what I said before. It's like over time, artists are understanding the business more and they have to, and that, and that comes down from like what their contract looks like to how they have to have a certain personality on, on social media and like market themselves to like, what is the actual relationship with their label? They need like, I am like my role is to be as transparent as possible with the reality of the situation with an artist and their manager, maybe just their management. Again, it depends on who I'm talking to. I'm also like smart. I'm not trying to go to an artist and like bum them out. Right. It's like there is a reality of when you get signed to a label and you have no following and you have no songs out and you don't really have much. You're starting from ground zero. You're not going to be the highest priority of the label, right? Period. Like that's very, most people understand that. Like I said, labels may have 200 artists and they have the top 10 artists making 80% of their money, right? So it's like, they got to focus on those. And now those artists are putting out music way more often than they did before. The cycle is not three years anymore. It's six months. So ultimately the developing artists that they're signing are getting pushed down, pushed down, pushed down, pushed down. And I think a lot of artists assume that when they sign to a label, something's going to happen. 
and that's just not straight up not true, right? It's like you get a check, and most artists decide to just spend that check very fast and then go, well, where's more money? You know, it's like a lot of artists sign deals and don't have the leverage in their deal. The le- the record label has the leverage in the deal. So when artists are like, how do I get labels to notice me? And like they keep trying to hit up A&Rs and they try to keep hitting up people who work at labels. Like you don't have the leverage. You want to be sexy. Like you want to be the, you don't want to be like, you want to be sought after. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't want to have to be like hitting on girls in the bar every night. Like you want to come in confident as fuck and have a girl be like, oh, hey, what's good? Like, that's what you want. And mm-hmm. an artist, I think they still have the mindset that like a label's going to solve all their problems because they can cut you a fat check. But ultimately they're going to, th- there's circumstances that I don't necessarily blame labels for. I think it's just like a historic infrastructure issue, but it's still like, let's throw spaghetti at a wall and see what sticks. And that's again, goes to my last conversation about zero to 60, 60 to hundred. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is you need artists can do and need to do more on their own to garner the not only the the fan base but the leverage of of labels wanting to work with them so i think that's a big fallacy and ultimately like when you're a small artist my goal is to find the most passionate people in the label who i know will love this artist because of the genre because their personality whatever it is and go here's your team of champions you have four people. There's 150 people that work at the label. You get four. That's what we're working with right now. And this is, and we have to get these motherfuckers excited, period. I don't care if it's an intern. Like the intern will do more than the head of radio in your first to second year of your development, period. It's about encouraging and empowering these people to do more shit. When you build a team like that, you're ultimately going to be more effective. So, I think that's sort of, those are just a few things that I try to communicate with artists and managers and other things. It's like the artists can feel like, and this is in their contract. So it's not even something that they don't, it's like, they feel like we, they could blow a lot of money early or they could do certain things or like, let's just move budget here or we'll spend money here. Well, you know, and it's like, I look, I have to look out for the artist. This is the artist money. It's the artist money because a lot of the shit's going to be recouped. So once you become big and you get a hit, you think you'll get a lot of money, but then the label's going to recoup a lot of that shit back. And you're going to go, wait, I thought I had more money than this. Well, it's because they're recouping all the fucking other marketing costs that were in your contract because you wanted to do that $100,000 music video. I try to like steer the conversation and like, I'm not, I don't just give you budget. I don't want that to be the thing. It's like, how much money do we have? It's like, if I'm talking to an artist manager, I'll be like, dude, let's have a real conversation about how much money you think should be spent on this thing let's look at how important content is and you want to do one music video for a hundred thousand dollars you want to do three billboards in la that cost you 20k that go away after two weeks cool you want to post that on instagram and you want to look cool in front of your friends i totally get it we can do that now what these are the conversations i have to have this isn't just our money it is also your money. And I've worked with artists who, again, I go back to the storytelling and the strengths and the self-awareness. I've seen artists who go and we throw stupid money at radio, stupid money on features, stupid money on music videos, 
And all of a sudden, we spent $2 million on this artist, and it's been two years, and we finally found who this artist is. We're like, he's a R&B superstar. Like, we were pushing him pop the whole time. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we can't wait two years into the process to be like, oh, now we know who you are. Great. Well, guess what? You're two million dollars in the hole, and now you're on the top shelf. So now the label's only going to give you one more shot, period. And guess what? It's probably going to be a fucking radio because that's one of the lowest hanging fruit things that they can throw money at that they know gives you direct results back. You feel me? So it's like I just touched on 10 different things, but that's like I'm trying to get to that point. That's just on a but that's on a budget thing, bro. That's just like on money. (laughs) There's a lot of other shit that people think people should be working for them. I wish it was different. I wish it was different, but part of my job is I'm a cheerleader, bro. I'm on the streets, dude. I'm on the streets being like, someone care. Someone care about this artist. Like, I have to do that. That's the reality. We're in a people business. At the end of the day, the head of urban radio is not going to give a fuck about a TikTok pop artist. I, I, like, it doesn't matter. We, we can't lie and be like, well, you can't be biased about your artist. It's like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, we're, it's music. Of course we're biased. Like, if we love the song more, we're going to work it harder, period. But it's about having the people. There's 150 people at the label. I guarantee you can find five of them who love TikTok, who love K-pop, who love, like, find them, and th- that's your core team. And then maybe when we get to a certain level, we start bringing those other people in. Or we, get, or we show that there's growth in certain things so that the CEO or whatever goes, we need this. It's all chess playing at that point. But that's the reality of the structure, straight up. And that's at most labels. Some labels may just throw you X number of dollars and say, here you go, do something with this. And then if you don't do anything with it, then it's like you're dropped, right? Also fucked up. But that's the reality of, of some labels do that. Other labels do this. But the same, it's all the same, right? If you're a developing artist, you got to find a small team of people to work with. So, bro, you tr- obviously I'm triggered now. <laughs> but, um, but that's why I do it. You feel me? That's why I'm still on the label side because, like, I need to be able to bring the artists and their managers into the cave. And here's the and like, here's some people who will help you get through. Here's a little light. Let's walk through this shit together. That's the right. reality. It's reality, you know. Well, so we you actually next next episode. <laughs> well, you actually answered the last question in that one too. So, <laughs> well, what, so what's you, the question? It, no, it was it was a question about you know why you why you keep going. So, yeah. um, <laughs> I think another thing is like I just want to do cool shit with artists, right? That's just like my personal thing. Like I just want to do dope shit with artists. That's it. Like, like that. Like. The, the other marketing things and the put it, get your songs in the malls and gyms and like, cool. That's like, we can, again, it's like the billboard. We can do that. These are plug and play things. That's not excite. It's not that exciting to me. Right. Like there's check boxes. We have to, we have a toolbox. Labels have a bunch of tools that we can go. Here are all the things that we can just do with X number of dollars. Mm-hmm. Like we need to challenge ourselves it's it's a opportunity for people in the label biz in the label business to be innovative because very few people are five percent of the people get it ninety five percent of the people don't straight up I think that's one of the reasons I, I I do it a lot you know because I sort of get to see shit on the inside right 
that that's super important at the end of the day man labels are still fucking here they're not going nowhere they still have all the money i get to see the shit on the inside and i get to like and i get to understand some of the ways money moves and why people care about this and where labels are focused on and then i can like i can understand that shit and educate you know what i mean well, hey, this was this was a very insightful episode, and I, I really, again, really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your schedule to come on and uh, mm-hmm. share all of that great stuff. I really enjoyed the conversation; it was definitely exciting and definitely a lot of takeaways uh, for me. So, uh, thank you again, Dylan, for taking and coming on the Saying Show today. Anytime, Cliff. Appreciate it. I'm, now I'm yeah, all fired. You. About to go for a run. I'm about to do 20 miles, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Definitely run some for me. So thank you again, Dylan. And thank you again, listeners, for continuing to listen and continue to like, share and subscribe. And again, you are listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.